our subject today is generous giving. It's not so much going to be a sermon as a time when the two of us pull back the curtains, let you in on some of our personal convictions that we share together. And we'll be giving you some insights really into what motivates us to give personally, to invest our money in God's work. When we sat down together to prepare this talk, we kind of knocked around some ideas and we wrote lots of things down and we realized we had way too many things so we had to trim it down. But we actually got quite excited about the subject and uh, we trimmed it down to five points each of varying length. So what follows is 10 reasons why we give. And our hope is that whether you are already a generous giver or whether you're new to this subject, that you'll find something in what we share which will inspire you. Now we have no hidden agenda here. There may be one or two cynics thinking, well, you know, they're only speaking on the subject of money and giving because they want the church's income to grow up, to go up. Now, while that is not the only reason, I can tell you quite openly that that is one of the reasons. As the church grows, as it continues, the, the cost of doing what we do also grows. And so we need the church's income to keep up with what's happening. And also, you may not have ever thought about this, but just to stand still no more money than what we're regularly getting. We uh, need many people to start giving and others to increase the amount they give because every year, and it varies year to year, but somewhere around 100 people who are currently giving either stop or reduce. They may move away from Nottingham or circumstances change. So just to stand still, we need like 100 people to engage with this. So part of our reason for teaching on this subject is because usually when we do, many people respond by starting to give or increasing the amount that they give. And the resources to do what God has called us as a church to do reflect that. For those of you here who are not committed followers of Jesus, we're thrilled that you're here. We're not expecting anything from you. Uh, but we hope that you'll simply find this an interesting talk which explains why we as believers freely choose to give to the Lord's work. Far from being a subject which as leaders of the church we feel with some reticence that we ought to teach on once a year. Uh, it's in fact one of our favorite subjects. And whether the church needed any money or not, we would talk about generosity. Because as you'll pick out, it's a subject about which we are passionate and one which we believe is absolutely key to the life of any truly committed disciple of Jesus. This church is very blessed in so many ways. And one of the hallmarks of Trent is that we are a generous church. And God has, through the members here, resourced us to do so much to bless so many. Now, in speaking as personally as Debbie and I will today, we run the risk that we could be perceived as saying, well, look at us, aren't we wonderful? But we felt that God has put us in a position of leadership in this church, and that carries with it the responsibility to lead and to lead by example. In the New Testament, Paul, a church planter in the first century, encouraged those in the churches that he planted to follow his example as he followed the example of Jesus. And I'm sure there are all sorts of areas where we could do better at growing to become a better example. And uh, there will be those of you here who are far more generous than we are, who give out of much smaller resources. But we felt it might be helpful for you to understand how we approach this subject personally and sensing that God wants us to share with the openness that we will in the hopes that the rest of you will be blessed, that you will gain reward if you take to heart what we say. 
So we're going to alternate roughly the points as we go through. Debbie. Well, the first reason that we give is that we give as an act of worship. We worship God because he is worthy of all our praise. We worship him because he's absolutely awesome. And so we give in response to God giving us everything, every breath, every heartbeat, and ultimately pointing to his own life in dying for us sacrificially on the cross. And we are just the recipients of his amazing grace. He poured it out, he lavished it upon us in so many ways. And so our response is to open up our hands, allow that grace to flowly, to, to, to pour upon us, to flow through us, and then to flow out of us. In Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul that John referred to, in his second letter to the the Corinthians, uh, he talks about the overflow of grace. And he's referring specifically in that instance to money, to the invitation to give extravagantly. Now, I personally have been on the receiving end of God's incredible grace. I grew up in a very loving, wonderful Christian home. My family are uh, very loving towards each other. They're still together in their 80s. And they demonstrated God's love and a life of adventure following him. I had a very privileged education. And yet, in my teenage years, I made some really bad choices. And I gave in to my wants and cravings in all sorts of areas. And I really chose to move away from God. And I did so many things that I regret. Things that kind of brought shame on my family. And yet, I've never experienced anything but unconditional amazing grace when it comes to God. His arms flung wide open. He welcomed me in. He showed me a better way. And um, I just find so many opportunities to be consumed with joy with the path that he set before me. And, um, you know, this morning we were singing songs of praise and adoration, expressions of love to Jesus and to God and, and just acknowledging the Holy Spirit with us. But I find I want to do more. I want to not just worship God in song and word. I don't just want to do things. I want it to kind of cost. I want it to hurt. Because actually true worship involves sacrifice. And most religions of the world uh, would involve huge sacrifice as they describe their devotion to, you know, other gods, huge levels of commitment. You know, shockingly, after 9-11, you know, when the Twin Towers in New York came down, huge numbers of young Americans um, converted to a radical form of Islam, the kind of Islam that now has ISIS and, uh, you know, Western participants. Why? People said, Why? And uh, apparently it's because what they saw of Christianity was lukewarm. And yet they saw in this, re- in this radical religious um, uh, outbreak a-, a religion that they could die for. I don't want to be a lukewarm Christian. I may be really free. We are free. We're not manipulated. We're not under pressure. Uh, but I want to choose a kind of devotion that costs in my giving. And so I want to give to the God who sacrificed everything for us, One of my favorite songs that the Trent Band, who were playing this morning, um, wrote is called Perfect Sacrifice. Because God's um, choice to send his son to us, to die for us on the cross, was not for his gain, but for ours. It really was the perfect sacrifice. And sometimes we can get stuck in our um, attitude to worship in a kind of receiving mode. Because we get so much out of worshiping God. Even in the moment of expressing our love, 
Uh, we experience love. We experience mercy. We experience healing. We experience the incredible ability to connect with God. And he comes to us. And then we connect with one another. And we have a community experience. And, you know, like little children, we can... Uh, be very much in that receiving mode where everything that we have is given. You know, we wake up in the morning as little children and our clothes are there and we're fed and we're warm. We're kind of unaware of just how much we depend on others. But as children mature and grow, um, they become contributors. I remember the wonderful day when Zach, my eldest son, he was um, dating Lizzie at the time, and I think they were engaged at this time, and they called us up and said, we'd like to take you out for dinner. And I thought, oh my, things have changed. <laughs> you know, they, it was always us taking them out for everything. Um, and then recently, Jordan uh, asked if I would take him shopping because he was buying presents for his uh, new, uh, newly wed new wife. And um, anyway, it was just lovely to watch him wanting to express his love through generosity. So money is another way in which we can express our worship. Now, over the years, our pledges to build buildings have meant that things have been tight, as they have for many of you who have made choices to give generously. We've felt the pinch. It's not been comfortable. For years, we postponed a loft conversion uh, at a time when we would have lots of guests, and it was really challenging as we all queued to use the bathroom and kind of tripped over each other. And uh, even shopping for food, many of you, when things are tight, you know it's actually more complicated to shop for food, to write the list and make sure we're feeding the family healthily and we're shopping, you know, economically and saving money. And then we haven't done some of the things that we wanted to do. But every time it kind of cost in that way, I knew this was worship. This was ongoing worship. In Luke chapter 7, uh, there's the story of the woman who breaks the alabaster jar over the feet of Jesus. It's an incredibly expensive, rare perfume. It's her life savings, and it could have been her investment in the future, her kind of retirement plan. Uh, but more likely, it was her livelihood because she was a prostitute. But yet, she's given it all up, and she's sacrificed it, and she's extravagantly poured it out on the feet of Jesus. And people look at this, and they kind of question in their minds and their hearts, and they think it's just a disgusting sort of intimacy, but also just such extravagance. It could have been used for better purposes. But Jesus saw her as an excellent worshiper, an excellent worshiper. And so we give, firstly, because we cannot contain our worship to just words and doing. We give as an act of worship. The second reason that we give is because it actually feels great to give. Uh, it may sound narcissistic, but I like how I feel when I give. In Acts chapter 20, verse 35, Jesus says, it's more blessed to give than receive. The message version says it's happier to give than to receive. And uh, in the Old Testament, the Israelites, in, a, in an atmosphere of celebration and rejoicing, they're celebrating because they're able to give in an extraordinary way to the temple, to build a temple for their God. And uh, David exclaims in 1 Chronicles, who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? These are the people who have been delivered from slavery, who walked through the desert, who had to depend on God for every mouthful. And yet now they're in a position to give extravagantly, to show off how much they love their God. And so when we've given as a church, when we've sacrificed together as a church to give to some worthy cause or to give for this building to be built, and sometimes the children have come forward with their offerings and, and uh, their gifts before God, and it's such a rush of joy to see that happen. But you know, some of the reason it gives me such joy to give and it gives many of you is because you know the impact. 
I know personally, when we were really poor, John and I had moved to London. Um, we felt the Lord call us to help John and Eleanor Mumford start the first vineyard in the UK. And uh, John um, uh, enrolled at the London Bible College to study theology, and we had been given the money to pay for his fees. But I was heavily pregnant. I was due pretty soon. We'd found somewhere to rent in London, which was really expensive compared to Nottingham. And um, we couldn't make ends meet. You know, we had a budget, we lived, it, it was really tight, but we didn't have the money to pay for the rent. And I was in despair. I remember sitting on the end of the bed, just sobbing and saying to John, I can't do this. And we hadn't told people that we were living, uh, you know, really close to the edge. We weren't telling people. They kind of, some people knew we were living by faith, but, you know, we didn't sort of make a big fuss in any way. And I remember we called out to God, and the next day an anonymous check came through the post for a thousand pounds, which was such a lot of money in those days. And I know the effect. It was incredible to feel the effect of that giving. Here at Trent, we see the impact of our giving on members of this church, on the poor, on the vulnerable, on people in our city and beyond. And it feels good. It's empowering to give, even if you can only give a little bit. I remember when John was talking about building this building and how somebody may only be able to invest in, in buying one chair. But that chair might be sat on a th thousands of times. Some of the people sitting on that chair might make a decision to follow Jesus. Isn't that amazing? It's so empowering to give. Even buying a coffee or McDonald's for a homeless person, it's such a privilege. And now we have more, we can give so much more. And when I give, it reminds me of how much God has blessed us. Thirdly, we give out of obedience. When Debbie and I came back from having had a few years in our late teens kind of drifting, the practice of giving actually preceded most other areas of getting our behavior and life more aligned with God's will. And, uh, you know, we'd lived for a few years doing basically what we wanted, but realized we weren't really becoming the kind of people we wanted to be. And uh, we decided to come back and surrender our life to him. And just to make some radical decisions towards surrendering to him. And one of the very first things we did was get our giving sorted out. So in my third year as a student, uh, I decided to start giving a tenth of the money that I had had, you know, that I had coming in. It wasn't a lot, but I actually decided to backdate it for a whole term because I felt prompted by the Lord to do that. Now, I would never teach that as a model, but I got my visa card, stuck it in the wall, took out some cash and gave it, and that was the beginning then of that new journey. And uh, there were some months initially when we didn't always give that tenth, but before long it became at least a tenth, and became a habit which has continued now for over 30 years. The Bible is clear that disciples of Jesus give. And so for us, giving was a simple issue of obedience. We wanted to please God, and this was one area where actually making a decision felt relatively straightforward because, you know, we want to obey God. We want to say no to the things we're supposed to say no to, yes to the things we're supposed to say yes to, but that's hard sometimes, isn't it? But actually filling out a form and having a standing order in place at least assures in that area that we're doing well. And we look forward to that accommodation, at least in this area of our life. Well done, good and faithful servants. Fourthly, we give because what we do here affects eternity. We all know, don't we, that this 70, 80, 90 years here is not, is not the main thing. Eternal life has begun for us, but it goes on for eternity, and what we do here 
affects that eternity. Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven that rust and moss and thieves aren't going to be taken away. He said, servants who steward their resources well here will be rewarded in the life to come. And we don't understand exactly how we'll be rewarded, but the Bible is clear that our experience of heaven individually, our experience will be affected by how we lived these brief years we were entrusted with here on earth. That in investing generously in God's kingdom, we are storing up treasure for ourselves. Sacrificing now costs, it does. It means going without some pleasure or possession that we might like to have. But just as anyone who thinks ahead invests in some form of pension for a day which will surely come, living today in a way which will affect eternity just seems a very obvious and wise thing to do. When we get to, thank you for that. <laughs> when we get to the end of our lives, we don't want to look back at all the things that we spent money on, all the insignificant purchases uh, and the pleasures and the experiences that we spent so much money on that really were so transient and think, if only we'd invested more in eternity. If only we'd used our resources for what really counts. Another aspect of this is that because of the money we invested in God's work, there will be many others in heaven with us who would not have been there had we not given. How much is a person's soul worth to us? Someone's eternal salvation, how much is that worth? Would you quantify it with a figure? If our giving over all these years enabled just one person to come to Christ, it would have been worth it. As it is, there will be thousands in heaven because Trent Vineyard had the resources to do all that it does. That is an incredible return on investment. Another reason that we give is because we want to express God's nature. Now, in the book of Genesis, where it just begins the exciting and wonderful story of God's love relationship with his people, it tells us that God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. It's amazing that when we give, we reflect God's nature because God is so generous and so giving. He gave us everything, every breath, he gave us life. And I am a God-created child of the Father, as are you. We are children of God, and you know, we are eternal beings. We're on a journey, and this is just the beginning. This life is just the beginning. Giving reminds me that I'm not tied to this world. I'm not tied to material wealth. I'm not tied to my belongings. None of it is going to go with me into what I'm going to do in eternity. I'm not controlled by consumerism. I, I'm, I'm not defined by what I own. You know, that's how the world sees us. They define us by whether, how much we can shop, how much we can own, what's the latest thing we're going to buy. God's nature is to give. His creation points to extravagant giving. His son Jesus points to the ultimate sacrifice in giving. And he gave us free will. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I was kind of really moved as I saw three stunning wedding dresses being sent to Brazil. Elba, who preached here a couple of Sundays ago, she had um, asked whether there was anybody who might give their wedding dresses so that girls in Brazil, couples could get married, because one of the big obstacles was being able to afford a wedding dress. And these wedding dresses were stunning. I, mean, I reckon they were worth over a thousand pounds. 
Now, I have a sentimental attachment to my wedding dress. I've still got it in the cupboard, and occasionally I wear it to a fancy dress party. So I, I was actually stunned that, that girls, that some of you would give up your wedding dresses. Those dresses will be used again and again and again as they'll be altered and shaped to fit the different girls wearing them. But it was so moving. Do you know, when we give, we reflect our father's image. I feel like I'm daddy's girl. I have his traits. I'm not a hoarder. I'm a giver. So we give so that we can express God's nature. The no, another reason that we give is because what we do affects what other people do. What we sow, we reap. What we do, even if people don't know exactly what we're doing, affects the culture spiritually. I know that for John and I as leaders of this church. But with our children, we've always talked very openly about giving. And we've also talked, as is appropriate, with the church about giving. As far as our children, we believe what Proverbs teaches, train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So when they were little, we had three little boxes. One was for saving, one was for spending, and one was for giving. And from when they were very little, 10p out of every pound went to the give box. And we would talk to them about the kind of giving that feels great. You know, being stirred by compassion and giving and seeing the difference feels wonderful. But there's also the kind of giving that's uncomfortable, that means you have to give things up. And at one point when we were weighing up how much we should give and pledge on top of our normal giving to the building, we sat down with the boys and we talked about the sacrifice that it would involve. We talked about less sweets, less cinema, less McDonald's, some of the things that they might want to take up they wouldn't be able to do. But we also told them that we truly believed that God would bless us, that he would bless us as a family. And I remember some of those really difficult conversations. I remember Zach, he wanted to enroll in ice hockey training so that he could play um, the sport, you know, um, ice hockey. Yeah, ice hockey. Anyway, <laughs> but the thing is, it's one of those really expensive sports, the equipment, the, the regular training, the travel to, to take part. And it was just hard to be able to say, Zach, we've made a decision. We've made a decision to give sacrificially. We can't do that. And then they would say, but when will we be blessed? And you know, it, it, in, in, at that time, we had to explain that blessing looked like a, a wonderful, happy family. You know, and yes, we wouldn't be able to go on the kind of holidays that other people went on, but we know God will bless us. And actually, as time went by, they would look back now and say, God did bless us. And even presently, you know, they've had inheritances where they have been blessed. Now, Actually, little children are, are naturally so generous. Uh, they don't quite yet fathom the, the fact that everything you know, costs and, and that you know, it's not all just going to be provided for them. But as they get older and they start earning their own money, they begin to give because it's the right thing to do if we've trained them in that way. And I remember when the boys were in their teens, we would talk about giving. And I remember both boys at one point discovered that they'd given to the same guy in the city uh, who had kind of spun a bit of a sad and sorry tale. And somehow, as they talked about this person, they realized the guy had probably not told them the truth. But what was really sweet was that they realized that actually their giving was they were giving to Jesus. It didn't really matter. Actually, this was a generosity towards Jesus himself. And we endorsed it and we fanned it into flame. And initially when they were little, we would reward them uh, for their generous giving, but then it became a normal part of their lives. Now here at Trent, we've tried to be open about our giving 
And we know that our leaders give. In fact, when we appoint leaders here at Trent, we, the person who appoints them checks with the finance department. Are they giving generously? Have they sown into the vision? Because they will reproduce, as we will, um, what this church is about, generosity. They will sow something into the culture of Trent Vineyard because what leaders do affect what we all do. We give because what we do affects others and it does affect our children. Number seven, we give because we are servants of God, not of money. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. You have to make a choice. And living as we do in the perhaps the most materialistic, consumerist society, culture that the world has ever known, we're very aware of this battle for our allegiance, for our worship. Money is one of the most powerful idols in today's society. It controls people. It demands their allegiance. Money in itself is actually neutral, but it's not supposed to be our master. It's supposed to be our servant. God is supposed to be our master. Jesus talked about the power of money and its ability to draw us away from God, its ability to choke off the growth of the kingdom of God in our lives. Giving in to materialism is not life-giving. You know, most of the uh, or many of the most materialistic people realize that it just leads to empty, emptiness. It doesn't lead to fulfillment. Having more, accumulating more, does not make you any happier than having less. We want to live with freedom, and we want our allegiance to be to God and not to anyone or anything else. In the book of Jonah, he says this, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Money and all it can buy can be a worthless idol, and certainly clinging to it makes it one. Far from being a means of grace, giving our allegiance to the idol of money chokes off the flow of grace in our lives, whereas generosity opens up that flow. More grace poured in, more grace poured out. Jesus goes on to say, Matthew 6, 19, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's not just a measurement of what's important to you. And you can tell that, incidentally, look at your bank statement. It'll tell you who you're worshiping. Look where you're investing your money. That'll tell you who or what you're worshiping. But rather, it answers the question, where do you want your heart to be? Do you want your heart to be in God's purposes or in materialism? Do you want your heart to be closer to God, connected with God, being led by God, living a true life in God, or would you want your heart closer to stuff, closer, you know, connected to possessions? We get to choose. Where do we want our heart to be? Well, put your treasure there, and you'll find your heart follows right along. It breaks the power of materialism, which is so strong in this culture. Number eight, we give to position ourselves for God's blessing and his protection. Since we started giving in a regular and serious way, we felt that trusting God to provide has been the safest, the most sensible response for, to the many promises that God makes to faithful givers through the Bible. In the Old Testament, God had created laws and said, I want you to give this much, and this is how it works, and on these occasions, give extra. And the people of God there, under law, God addresses through the prophet Malachi. He set up a thing called the tithe, 10% of everything, the first fruits of everything. And this is what it says. 
bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land. God is essentially saying, if you want to find yourself under my blessing, get your giving sorted out. Be faithful in giving at least the tenth. Otherwise, God said, in part of the passage I've not read out there, otherwise he said, you're robbing me. My blessing is withheld from you. I remember just photographically one evening before we got married, I was uh, making somebody else's engagement ring, and I had set up a little jewelry bench in this shed, tiny shed. It was a pheasant hanging next to me, lawnmowers, all that sort of thing. And I was just working away on this engagement ring. And setting a diamond takes a lot of physical force through a tool that puts a lot of force on the end of each of those claws and bends it over the top of the stone. And as I was doing this, I was listening to a cassette tape. Some of you remember those. It was John Wimber. <laughs> John Wimber, who started the Vineyard Movement over 40 years ago. And he was speaking on this text, and his thrust basically was this. If we want God's protection from things going wrong, like our olives or grapes dropping off before harvest time, and if we want God's blessing on our life, then it's not hard to grasp how we would go about uh, securing those things. Be faithful in giving. And as I was setting this diamond and leaning on it quite heavily, it suddenly pinged out of its setting and disappeared. Now, I'm in a shed whose floor is made of planks with gaps, and it's dark. This diamond has cost me quite a lot more than a week's wages. So I'm like, please, Lord, I'm listening to this teaching. You know I've been faithful in giving. Please help me find it. And uh, it wasn't long before I found it on the floor just next to one of those cracks. And I'm like, you know, trust me with your giving, and your olives won't fall off. And I remember that in Wimber's voice, your olives won't fall off, if you get this right. Giving isn't a reflection of how magnanimous we are, but it's a reflection of our understanding of who our, who our money really belongs to. It is all his. And through the scriptures we see this. It was on the screen during worship, another text. Uh, Deuteronomy eight seventeen says this. Moses said, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. King David said this in 1 Chronicles 29, Lord, everything in heaven and earth is yours. Wealth and honor come from you. Essentially, everything comes from him. And Lord, all you ask as a token of our recognizing that is a minimum of this little tenth. Now imagine I have 10 apples laid out on a table up here, nine red ones and one green one. The Lord says, I've given you all the apples. I've entrusted these resources to you to steward. This one being set aside for me is a symbol that you recognize it's all mine. Now sadly, many people who call themselves committed Christians do this. The car needs fixing. There's an unexpected dental bill. They reach for not a red apple, but the green one, and take a bite. Christmas is looking expensive. Another bite. Things are a bit tight at the moment. Another bite. And they end up flicking the apple core in God's direction. 
And I'd want to say, echoing the teaching of Scripture, no, don't touch that apple. Best to give that apple to God before anything else happens. The Bible talks about the first fruits, before we eat the rest, making sure he gets the priority. For Debbie and me, it's simply a non-negotiable. We see it, it doesn't belong to us. We don't see that first tenth really as any of our business. We've made a decision. It's the Lord's. It's simply a statement. We trust him with the rest. 33 years ago, uh, Debbie and I were unemployed. We were living on, the, at the time, the lowest form of benefit that was possible in the benefit system. And rather than thinking, you know, we are poor, which we were, we just can't afford to give. Both of us held this conviction, we can't afford not to give. Not out of law, not out of some begrudging duty, but out of the belief that the scriptures so clearly teach that if we are faithful in stewarding our money, which includes giving that first tenth, God would look after us. And the 90% left over would be stretched to perhaps even more than the 100% uh, under our own strength, living independently of his promise. And our experience over these years has been a life of being blessed, not just financially, but beyond our dreams in so many other areas. On Friday evening, James Rankin, who's known to some of you, he, he and his wife Jen planted the Cardiff Vineyard out of here some years ago. He was staying over at our house for the conference, the um, Calls to Liverpool conference that we hosted this weekend. And he told us a story, and I said, can I have that? He shared it with his church the last couple of weeks, I think. And it, this story beautifully captures most of the points, probably, really illustrates all of them so far that we've mentioned, but perhaps especially the understanding that no matter how little we have, Faithful giving demonstrates our trust in God, our dependence on him, and it positions us for God's blessing and his protection. You'll see on the screen here a letter which reads this way. To Cardiff Vineyard Church, dear sir, madam, we are asylum seekers and are not sure how long we will remain in Cardiff. While we are here, we are being provided with accommodation as well as Tesco vouchers to buy food. As we do not have money, we are unable to pay our tithes and offering in cash. Therefore, we would be grateful if you would receive our tithes and offering in Tesco vouchers until we have money of our own. Sorry for the inconvenience. God bless. P.S. They work well at the tills. And enclosed there, you see four £10 Tesco gift cards. That is profound. In the New Testament, no longer under law, but now under grace, we're exhorted to take that rule of the tenth and use it as a guideline, as a starting point for generous giving. In Luke 6, 38, Jesus says this, give, he could have just stopped there really, considering all the other things, just give. But he says, give, comma, and it will be given to you, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap, for with the measure that you use, it'll be measured to you. As Debbie mentioned 29 years ago, that two-year period of living by faith while I was studying theology, uh, we had to set a budget, so we sat down with John Bunford, we said, this is what we think we need to live, live on, and then we added on top of that, such that we could then give 10% and end up with that amount. And through that year, when things got tight, we would just look at each other and say, let's give something more away. Let's find someone who's in more in need than us and just give them you know, a gift. 
and, you know, cast ourselves on God's promises. And God saw to it that during those two years of study, it was absolutely amazing. You couldn't have written this unless you were God. God gave us everything we had budgeted for, everything we had given away, the extra tent, and everything we gave on top were as well on top of that. I graduated. I started decorating business uh, as well as being a part-time uh, junior pastor there in Southwest London Vineyard. And during that year, our beloved Ford Capri, which I still remember with great affection, it was basically dying on its feet. And it just a great long bonnet. It had a gearbox that required a certain uh, amount of deft skill to get it to <coughs> go into the right gear. So it was worth about 250 pounds. And then some careless driver smashed into the driver's door, writing the car off. But we continued to drive it, even <laughs> though you had to climb in through the passenger seat to actually get in. Now, that was fine. I could handle that. But Debbie just passed her driving test. We just had our first son. And so she had to carry the baby seat, put it in the passenger seat, belt it up, and then climb over the baby seat to get into the driver's seat so that she could drive the car. And then sit down below this little wheel you know, looking along this long bonnet, and she hated driving it. And so one Thursday evening, we had a very lively discussion about whether we should borrow a load of money to buy another car or continue to limp along, making do uh, as we were. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want to go into debt. We've got no money. I don't want to borrow any more money. Uh, can't you make do? I was terrible, but there you go. <laughs> she said, could I ask God to give us a car? So I said, yeah. That's great. So Thursday night, she prayed, God, please, would you intervene? I want a small car with a working gearbox and a driver's door. <laughs> that was a Thursday night. On the Saturday of that week, some friends we hadn't seen for a couple of years were due to come and visit us. And actually, they were from Nottingham. And we talked about all sorts of stuff in the course of that conversation. And they, they asked questions about our transport. And uh, we just answered those. The car was parked in the street. You could see it opposite with the driver's door on the other side, so you just look like a fine full Capri. And also, I was doing decorating, I was borrowing my brother-in-law's brand new decorating van. So we, were, we looked like a two-vehicle family, and we didn't tell them otherwise. As they were putting on their coats to leave, they said, we're a little confused. Do you need a car? So our eyes lit up, and they said, it's just that we strongly felt the Lord tell us this week we should give you ours. And that, they were getting a company car, so this small car was surplus to their requirements. It was a beautiful Vauxhall Nova, just three years old. The youngest car we've ever owned in our life. And uh, they gave it to us. Now, in talking about times of financial blessing, which we have experienced over the years, I don't mean to communicate that giving doesn't cost nor that if you do this, you get a bigger amount back financially. There are blessings in all sorts of ways. At various times, we have given and we felt strain, the strain of financial squeeze. We have often gone without things which some of our contemporaries have been able to afford. When the church bought the back plot of land and you guys who would otherwise be in the car park, we gave to, towards building another 100 foot of building there. Um, our building pledge on top of our regular giving meant that for a few years we were giving almost 40% of our net income back to the church. And we felt it. Now, it's an absolute joy to have been able to invest in these wonderful projects, but it has, of course, meant that that money wasn't there to invest in or spend on other things. But we can honestly say that our life has never been characterized by financial anxiety. 
We sleep well knowing that God is faithful to his word. Last from me and then one more from Debbie. We give because we said we would. Debbie and I agreed that we would always, no matter what, give at least a tenth of our income as a basic before giving to individuals, before giving to building projects, before anything on top of that, just a basic tenth. And I've told you and I've told others that this is our practice. And I've told God this is our practice. And it would be therefore a breach of integrity if we let that slip. If we had a pay rise and we didn't up, update our standing order, it would nag at our conscience until we got round to it. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 4 tells us, when you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. It's better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Many of you will have agreed with your spouse or you've told others in your small group, your practice, or you've agreed with God, yeah, I'm going to tithe, I'm going to give a tenth or a certain percentage to the regular work of the church before other things on top. And I really just would encourage you not to let that slip. If you're married, perhaps this week, talk about it. How much income do we have now and how much are we actually giving? If you've had a rise in income in recent years and you've not updated the amount you give, it's just worth considering whether your current practice matches up to what you intend to do. Finally, from me, we give because we love the culture and vision of this church. Of course we do. <laughs> we started it. And you know, when we moved to Nottingham, three other couples came with us about 20 years ago it was, and they risked everything. They risked jobs, they risked security, they risked their savings. And a, a couple of them, it took a long time for them to get employment. Back then, we didn't know. We didn't know the half of what would be achieved here. We didn't know how the vision would unfold. And there were some times of real insecurity. There were times of doubt and fear. But all of them gave financially and helped us set a culture of generosity. We're so delighted. Do you know, uh, more people bought into the vision and they served and gave and we worshiped and prayed together. The church was formed and we were able to start reaching out. We saw people healed and comforted as they came into the community. We shared sad times and good times. We started to see what a loving community could do. From the outset, we embraced people who were unchurched. We began to reach out and bless the community. We decorated homes, we gardened, we cleared leaves, we visited the elderly, we decorated outreach centers. We took steps of faith and we risked embarrassment many times. And you know, every time I hear the story of someone coming to faith in this church, I, I just find tears come to my eyes. It is the result of our giving. Everything that comes in is fueled and is fueling the advancement of the kingdom. All the ministries, the staff that head those up, who are coordinating and leading us to make a difference. Do you know, a couple of weeks ago, we were advertising the Shine Party, an alternative party for our children who really would prefer not to be part of the Halloween scary events. And uh, there were hundreds of children there. And you know, that evening, 14 gave their lives to Jesus for the first time. You know, we have small groups in which lives are being changed. Marriages are being healed. I met three people who have um, been going through the Power to Change course. And um, they were at the newcomers event. One of them had just given his life to Jesus on one of the Sundays here at the church. But they talked about the transparency, the, the way, the vulnerability of the leaders. And because of that, they had been able to open up 
and find that God really met them in their time of need and they were really breaking free from addiction. There's the Alpha course where every week people are fed a wonderful meal and then they get to ask questions where nobody challenges the fact that the question could be crazy or seemingly put Christianity down. It's like it, everything's acceptable and people are just made to feel so welcome. God's love for every kind of person is expressed through this church when we give. This site, as John has talked about, it's evidence of the incredible generosity of this church. The Arches is able to meet in 25,000 square feet dedicated space for those struggling with all kinds of issues. We have a wonderful youth center. We have a Trent Debt Advice. We have a cafe in which we can bring our friends and people who are experiencing conferencing here can, can just you know, be part of as well. And our attitude hasn't changed as we've seen the dream come true and the reality of the vision unfold. We are fully behind this kingdom, this, this church, because we see the kingdom of God advancing. We were chatting to someone in our kitchen the other day, a, a businessman, a really lovely friend of ours, and he said to John, I love giving to this church because I know that that money is going to be used and make a real difference. Rather than having to choose amongst all the letters and forms that come through our letterboxes with opportunities to give to different worthy charities, he said, you know, when I give to this church, I know that it's impacting so many different areas, not only in the UK, but abroad. So we give because we believe in the culture and vision of this church. So there you have it. If you already give, I would encourage you just to look again at your giving. Just ask whether it might be time to adjust the amount or to invest more perhaps in God's kingdom. If you're not yet giving, and this whole thing about what, a tenth? Like, oh my giddy aunt, I've never given more than you know, a tiny amount. Maybe start at 1%, 2%. But start a regular standing order giving to the church at what you feel God prompting you to give with a view to over the years as you grow in this grace, giving more. And so there are forms on alternate seats this morning because we found that when people do want to begin giving to the church or to revise the amount they want to give, Having a form helps them to do that rather than having to try and remember to pick one up from the connect area. But that's the only reason they're there. Um, one main reason people don't get their giving sorted out is not because they're resistant to God or they don't want to give, it's because they don't get round to it. And so those forms there are not to pressurize you in any way. Just if you want to change your standing order or start a new one, feel free um, if you want to make a change. If that's you, you can do that before you leave if you'd like. There are guarded boxes by the door. You can pop them in there. If you'd rather, please take it home. Think about it. Pray about what you might write in it. There's a standing order form in there, which there wasn't before. And the best way for most of us, probably in this digital age, would be to start a standing order with your bank online. And you'll find the church's bank details in that form. If you forget the form, you can go to the church's website under the giving section. You'll find the bank details as well. And if you do that, if you do start a standing order or change it, if you could let the, the finance department know, it's really helpful as they understand what's come from who. You can also give actually via the website or church app. So we'd encourage you to do it this week if possible. If it gets buried under a pile of papers, if you're anything like me, it will probably never happen. And of course, giving to the church is not the only way to invest our money in God's kingdom. On top of our regular financial commitment to the church, Let's keep looking for ways, creative ways that we can bless other people, we can give to others as needs and opportunities arise. 
Trent Vineyard, you are a wonderfully generous church. Thank you to all of you who are financially committed to what the Lord is doing here among us. We are thrilled to share this journey with you. There are those of you whose own experience would make ours look like we've only just started. Just happened that Debbie and I were the ones to use the microphones today. But all of us who call Trent Vineyard home, let's continue to grow in all the Lord has for us. Let's press on. Let's continue to excel in this grace of giving.